Here we go. Rejecting the screen. Noah Kozlov out here on the East Coast, out West. Adam Stanko, just two plugged in dudes talking hoops and a little bit of life. Go back and check out the most recent edition of Rejecting the Screen, the Going ISO edition. We do it every week, a long-form interview with all sorts of folks who have touched the NBA. This past week, Philly Hoops high school legend, Villanova legend, longtime NBA guard, Raptors legend, Alvin Williams, with some great Mm -hmm. stories about trying to guard Allen Iverson full court at Georgetown. He actually thought Steve (laughs) Lapis, his head coach at Villanova, was joking when he said, hey, here's the plan. We're going to pick him up full court when Alvin knew full well that he could not guard Iverson that was in college and he knew full well he couldn't guard him in the NBA either some great stories about Vince Carter throwing a ball off the shot clock in practice Mm. he was pissed off that their head coach Kevin O'Neill stopped the practice threw it off the shot clock jumped from the foul line and then dunked it about an hour (laughs) plus with Alvin Williams who would roll around in what seemed to be a clown car with Rasheed Wallace and others in high school, driving Incredible. up to play pickup different places. And other times it was Kobe who would be on the other side of their pickup games. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and Apple podcast, Spotify, wherever you get yours, leave a rating, a review. It can be questions. It can be, Hey, loved Alvin Williams, loved Richard Jefferson, loved Kevin Willis, loved Howard Beck, whatever it is and then share it with your friends. With the draft coming up, we suggest everybody taking a look at the Locked On podcast NBA mock draft. Mm-hmm. You can listen to that on Locked On NBA, and it's the experts from all 30 teams, plus David Locke and other national experts, Chad Ford and his NBA big board, Jeremy Wu from Sports Illustrated, John Hollinger with the GM's perspective, and they're hitting every single team leading up to the NBA draft. Adam Stanko is our draft expert. Adam has been evaluating prospects since you were, what? About 14. Okay. About 30 and years ago. So give the, geez, you're 44. Wow. You look a day over 42. So go back, give us the, the quick 30 seconds of how you started doing that. Yeah. And the first guys that you looked at, and how it's evolved into today. Well, the the interesting one is so early on. I mean, for me, it was all about reading Street and Smiths and and trying to learn about guys nationally before all the social media stuff. Before you could get any information, really, you'd, you'd read Street and Smith magazine, mm-hmm. pick up information about guys, and then the games that were on TV were so limited. So really, at that point in time, we're talking about you know early nineties. There wasn't wasn't a way to evaluate prospects really on a national scale. And a few years after I really started diving in and, and trying to learn as much as I could about players. And then when I would go places, not just locally in the Philly area, but I had friends in, in Massachusetts where I had lived at one point, I would ask them about guys they knew. My cousin was in Dallas, so he would go to SMU games. I'd visit him. I'd go see kids you know, play at SMU. And I remember one year my dad met a – an executive uh, for the Timberwolves actually. And uh, he met him on a plane and he said, Oh, my son's really big into evaluate draft prospects. The guy was nice enough to my dad and, you know, kind of threw him a bone was like, Oh, well, hmm. we'll take info from anybody. Have him give me a call. And I called him. And of course, like I look back now, like if you know, you're from a front office, just the fact that you took that call was nice enough from, from the guy. And I remember freaking out about it. But the interesting part was I was asking about players, 
and there were guys he didn't know about. And I was just blown away. And granted, they were they were like drafting, of course, because they were Timberwolves, like at the top of the draft and then in an early second rounder. So hmm. it, they they sort of had their guys in mind. But there were guys that I was mentioning that he didn't know about. And I was I was kind of blown away at the time. I was and that got to me about the idea of, of front offices and, and everything. And then the and then the process is just, you know, evolved to where. I just gotten to know a lot of different people. And then over the last, you know, it's always been a, a passion project. I was at ESPN and sort of helped them with the the draft prospect uh, with draft prospects and evaluations and and really advising them on the draft and would go to the draft when I worked at ESPN every year, uh, sitting in the control room, telling them what the, the situation was on, you know, oh, Woj is, is breaking picks on Twitter. I, I was in the back room for that, seeing how, how that shook out. Uh, prior to that, of course, I'd worked on a high school sports show, sold tapes to college teams and NBA teams. So I was always involved with the, the high school scene, which obviously is just like, you know, it leads just like all your, um, involvement with, uh, you know, the, the bass pro shops tournament, right? That's the, mm-hmm. uh, that's the one that, that you had been involved in. And so you see guys and then get to know them on a different level before they go to college. And of course, then, then onto the league. But, um, yeah, so I, I'd done it you know, dealing with high school kids. Then of course, you know, seeing guys like Dwight Howard and LeBron and all during, during their high school runs, um, you know, really in depth and then, but yeah, then at ESPN and then over the last few years, you know, as I've gotten real close with Don McClain, I've gone down every, every year and, and checked out his guys that he works out for CAA and improves their stock for the draft. So guys like Donovan Mitchell, John Collins, uh, he, I mean, he's had a boatload, D'Angelo Russell, Carl Anthony Towns, uh, even Adam Morrison was was uh, one of his guys at at one point. So um, Don's great at, at at understanding the draft and really their draft improvement, getting them ready for team workouts. So that's where my involvement for the draft has been, and obviously this year has been a unique one. All right, so that was way longer than thirty seconds, and which is odd Cut given that you're a TV. I will not going to because that's odd given that you're a TV guy and you're used to giving counts. And saying, hey, this segment needs to be this long or this long. And I'm sure you did that for the NBA draft. Hmm. All right. So you started with the Wolves in that conversation your dad had. So let's start at the top of the draft. We're going to do top of the draft with the Wolves, what they should do. And then we're going to look the late lottery to up to 20 pick. Who's the Tyler Hero, Donovan Mitchell? And we'll explain again why that just drives me up a wall. And then we'll also get into who Adam has higher on his board than so many others. Plus, my time as a poll worker, since we previewed that last week, and also the fit for these guys, why, what makes it so important. It's not just the talent, but it's the fit. So top of the draft, you know this stuff so much better than I do. What should the Wolves do? Well, the number one thing the Wolves have to do is is make sure that whoever they select, if they do select, and we'll we'll talk to two options, obviously, that has to be a guy that that they believe is a game changer for them. So obviously, we we've talked Noah not just on this podcast, but also when we interviewed Chad, Chad Ford about the idea that usually you have guys that are tier one guys that you know you can count on to be just stars in the league and it may not be year one that they're full-on superstars but you're at least seeing that so you talk about guys like John Moran or Zion Williamson Luka Doncic Trey Young I put in that category guys that you know are going to be franchise guys for you 
face of the franchise. If you're selecting number one, you're hoping that there's maybe three tier one guys and you're not going to miss on it. I mean, most years, obviously, you're lucky if there is one true tier one. But guys around the league agree that, like, we put these guys in the category that they're going to be all stars for a long period of time. The thing about this year is I don't know that there are any tier one guys. And and that doesn't mean guys can't become all-stars or become franchise players. It's just that there are question marks. And so you can't say that they're sure things and that given the right opportunity, given playing time, they're going to explode next year. And so the guys that everyone talks about this year, Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman, and LaMelo Ball, it seems like there's a three-man race for who's going to be that number one pick. I also would put Obi Toppin in that same category. And I know some guys have slid him down to, you know, back end of even the lottery or some have him in the top four. It just depends how you feel about Obi Toppin. I think the Timberwolves situation is you look at, are you going to go with a big for your number one pick in today's NBA? And so Toppin or James Wiseman, and Toppin's a little bit older, James Wiseman, small sample size, but we obviously know the potential that he has. I think that there are question marks about going in that direction for your number one pick. But to play alongside a Carl Anthony Towns with one of those guys would just be phenomenal, I think. And then you go and say, all right, well, if you're not going that direction, of course, the question marks are Anthony Edwards. Do you really love him as a superstar? We know that he can score. We know he's explosive. We know he's athletic. We know he's strong. He has all the ability in the world to be a really outstanding wing. But is his ceiling like a J.R. Ryder type? Or are we talking above that? And you're talking, again, number one pick and the value that comes with that. And then, of course, there's LaMelo Ball, who you have to wonder the question marks about whether it's family name, whether it's the ugly-looking shot like his his brother has. Uh, but you love the length. You love the vision. You love his ability to finish, his, his improvement. He's already played against pros overseas. He's got a maturity to his game. And he just plays differently than than most guys. You know that he's going to have an impact on the game. I don't know that he's going to play off the ball really well. But if you make him a ball-dominant guard, you can do some special things with him. I don't know how he pairs up with D'Angelo Russell, certainly, in, in Minnesota. So I would say if I'm, if I'm the Timberwolves, I am looking either to trade this pick or I would convince management myself to to honestly go with Wiseman or – or Obi Toppin. And obviously, I'm not going to take Obi Toppin number one, which means it's also a trade. So, I, so I'm probably trading a few slots back and getting if you other can. assets. If you can. And if that's you can. If you can. So in this draft, the Warriors are trying to trade. The Wolves are trying to trade. and But you can, you can make all the calls you want. But if no one's willing to trade up and you don't think you're getting the, the appropriate value, then you don't trade. And then maybe you draft the kid and the kid with the most trade value, and then see where it goes. I think there are a lot of issues with defensively for the Wolves, whether it's LaMelo Ball on the team or Obi Toppin on the team, pairing them with D'Angelo Russell and and Carl Anthony Towns, who have never been confused with all (laughs) defensive players. But it's also a team that, isn't too far away. They made the playoffs a few years ago with Jimmy Butler and then took the step back last year once Carl Anthony Towns got hurt. And so I was starting to look at some of those games that, you know, those first, say, 16 games last year that that Carl Anthony Towns played in before then he ended up hurting his knee 
Then he missed a bunch of games, missed 15 games. Then he fractured his wrist, tried to play through it, but then he was shut down right before the all-star break for the rest of the season. And Cat early on, and like even just taking a look at the 35 games that he played, he was 26 and a half and 11 on 59 shooting, 59% shooting from two. And in those first 16 games where he was playing really well, the team was nine and seven. So it's a team at the top of the draft that isn't that far away from Mm -hmm. competing for a playoff spot. But in the West, all those teams that, missed the playoffs last year how far away are they i mean the warriors are going to be back in the playoffs the suns are going to be fighting for the playoffs so you want to win now but what is winning now mean for the minnesota timberwolves that means being the eighth seed and you've got two max guys so you're drafting for highest upside but also how he fits how this person fits in because this person whoever they draft is going to have to contribute right away i would lean Lamelo ball and work with D'Angelo Russell off the ball and see how that works. I'm just a bit concerned about culture in in Minnesota for any rookie going there. And that plays into our fit later, but I would go with, I'd go with the mellow ball there. Obi Toppin is a really nice player. You're going to put him alongside Carl Anthony Towns, so you have nobody that's playing defense in the front court, or would you rather have nobody that's playing defense in the backcourt? <laughs> that's a question that Gerson Rosas is going to have to come up with. So now, late lottery to mid-first round, so up to 20. We get these guys every single year. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run through this list going back a decade, and I looked at players mostly between 10 and 20. Some of them I went with, number 9. So last year, Tyler Hero at 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matisse Thibel at 20, who you loved. In 18, it was Shea Gilgis-Alexander at 11. 17, Mitchell at 13. Bam at 14. 16, Levert at 20. 15, Booker at 13. 14, Levine at 13. TJ Warren at 14. Yusuf Nurkic at 16. In 2013, had CJ McCollum at 10. Giannis at 15. 2012, Evan Fournier was at 20. 11, you had Kemba at 9. Clay at 11. Kawhi 15. Vooch at 16. Tobias Harris at 19. 2010, Gordon Hayward at 9. Paul George at 10, Eric Bledsoe at 18, Avery Bradley at 19, all varying levels of success. Some of these guys are stars, upper echelon stars. Other other guys have been ex- all-stars and extremely impactful on good teams. So when we hear who's the Donovan Mitchell of this draft, well, then if you think a guy is Donovan Mitchell, then why wouldn't he be considered for the number one pick? Well, it's because of the fit that he's in that – all right, if you gave the ball to Donovan Mitchell and said, all right, you can make all the mistakes you want, this, that, we don't care about winning, et cetera, well, it might be different if he's on the Sacramento Kings. But if you put them on Utah and you, or you stick them in Oklahoma City or you're, you're in, in Milwaukee where you allow Giannis to grow a bit or Clay when he is there in, in Golden State, it's about, it's about that fit. It's not a matter of, well, we really missed, really missed on him. Like Tyler Hero, well, no, he's in Miami, and that gets the most out of him, and that's why fit matters. And I, no, I'll say something else too, because I, I was privy to the process with Donovan Mitchell, because again, Don McLean was working him out at that time, and I walked in the gym, and I remember seeing—I had seen Donovan Mitchell on tape and saw him obviously at Louisville a bunch, and thought he's a good player, he's athletic, but. He wasn't putting up crazy numbers. He wasn't dominating games. Walked into the gym and was just like, wow. 
this kid is unbelievable. And it was everything. It was his ball handling. It was, it was like he was so efficient in all of his moves. He could really shoot it. He was incredibly athletic. Of course, all the things that people who see him now go, yeah, of course, this stuff like jumps off the screen when you watch him. His confidence is through the roof. But the other thing that really stood out in these workouts and which is kind of crazy, and again, you're not getting a chance to see, and teams haven't had a chance to see this because of everything going on with COVID. And this is the thing where some of these differentiators, I would be able to even give more insight in a given in a typical year that you can't this year. And that is with Donovan Mitchell, he was a leader in workouts. And what I mean by that is you'd have six, seven guys working out. They're doing the same drills and they do things like, hey, you go through and we're going to make 10 shots from this one spot. And it's guy after guy takes a shot. And it's like, after we make 10, we're moving on to the next drill. And you can see it with guys. They're like rooting each other on or they'll clap or they'll be frustrated with themselves because they're letting the team down. And Donovan always had this ability to inspire others and lead others and sort of do it, but not in a cheesy way. You know, like when you know when you're around great leaders, there's guys that just have a way of talking to other people. And he had that. And Don McLean turned to me and said, he he would be the number one pick in this draft. And again, we're talking 17. He goes, he would be the number one pick in this draft if he was just a couple inches taller. And so the one other thing that I would point out to you is the idea that sometimes with a guy, just like with, I think, with the Timberwolves situation right now, whether it's going with a big, for instance, sometimes with a guy, it's the PR hit that you're going to take that a team factors in and and ultimately the value of that slot. And you yeah. know if you could get Donovan Mitchell, let's say even top eight, well, then you're not going to trade up to number one to take Donovan Mitchell if you think you're the only one. And I know talking to people in the Jazz organization, their thing once they worked Mitchell out was like, we're not telling anybody what we think about how good this kid is. We're hoping no one else sees it. And I think that's a factor, too, that sometimes with these guys, teams will love them and they sh- think to themselves they should be top five. But no way am I letting that information get out. Instead, I'll hype up, a, you know, a James Wiseman or I'll hype up. um a uh, Kira Lewis or something hoping that guy gets gets higher so then my guy slides to me no and you know that part of it well I think that's a great point I want to hit on that very very quickly because you still need to give your guy here so Mm -hmm. teams will do that and it's all smoke screens (laughs) and I don't think it gets I don't think it's totally understood that what the fans want impacts an owner which then impacts an organization. So, you know, the front office might want one guy, but the owner who has the ultimate say, and if he meddles too much, then he could ruin everything because the owner's the one who doesn't want all the bad PR and will listen to fans more than a front office will. It's silly, but it's true. All right. So who's your guy? So there's two people that I would just quickly say. One is Tyrese Halliburton. I think could potentially be a top three pick in this draft and won't be. People like him. Some teams really like him. I think there's teams that probably love this kid because of his feel for the game. And I don't think he's that much different than the way you would view uh, LaMelo Ball. Obviously a little bit older, but he's got the length. He's got a shot that's a little bit awkward, but shot at a really high clip from three. And his feel for the game is passing ability off the charts. So that's one. If he goes to the right team, look out. And Isaiah Stewart is another guy that I would put in this category because he is a beast. 
who plays hard on every single possession. Played at Washington. He never takes a playoff. And motor, they talk about all the time as being his plus one skill. This guy will get after it. And you put him as your five man. He's a little bit undersized, but he will outwork everybody. And you think about the guys who have had success, especially coming off the bench or in strictly a role player role the last few years, guys like Montrez Harrell, like he gives you that crazy motor, Kenneth Fareed, that you see that just you can't, you can't teach that. You can't motivate on that level. He's got that. And so I think going to the right place, he could really have an impact next season. Right. He could also fall into your guy that you're higher on than others since he's not a, a lock for a, a first round pick. My guy would be Isaac Okoro from Auburn, who you mentioned that Bass Pro Tournament of Champions that I've called on TV the past 10 years. Okoro was there for McEachern in high school and they went undefeated, won the state title in Georgia, and they played five guys all year. All year. Just just five guys. And he was the guy that always defended the other team's best player. And so they relied on him consistently down the stretch in, in close games. And that's a guy that you'd want at the next level. And he did it at Auburn. And I think he'll do it in the pros. I think Isaac Okoro has the, the type of game, certainly defensively, where he can make that impact right away in the right situation in that late lottery mid first round. All right. So coming up, the guy that Adam is higher on than most the locked on nba mock draft is here with the draft being just days away locked on nba podcast the national show five days a week is mock drafting every first round pick so you can get the local expertise with their projection and then also chad ford from chad ford's nba big board that podcast john hollinger from The Athletic, the former Grizzlies executive who does Hollinger and Duncan here on Locked On, and also Sports Illustrated's Jeremy Wu. So you get the full 360 approach. You can check the feed on Locked On NBA to catch up on the past shows so you don't miss a pick. So subscribe to Locked On NBA today wherever you get your podcasts. Built Go, we've told you about that boost of energy that you need to work out with the collagen protein that's so fast absorbing that it gets into your system fast, which also makes it easy on the stomach and also easy on the taste buds because the three flavors just work so well. So there's the peanut butter, honey, the chocolate coconut and the chocolate mint. And they come in these ounce and a half packages that you can just suck right out. It's like those almond butter packages that you can just suck out it's the the same the same here you could even if if you wanted it you could just throw it in your golf bag throw it in your tennis bag throw it in your hoop bag and it is just the ideal workout gel without getting that crash feeling later on loaded with b3 the honey the kick of caffeine the b6 b12 all of it and especially that collagen that Adam says works so well on me because it makes me look better. It promotes joint, soft tissue, hair, and skin Great health. Hair. Great hair. And, and Noah, that, I'm going to tell you, I, I, I have been, as you say, sucking these down before going for my, my runs. And it's amazing. It's, it's the perfect thing because I'm always like, man, I don't really feel up for running right now, but I know that I have to. And boom, here I go. Tastes great. 
Because you're, I'm thinking, should I go with a candy bar? No, you can't do that to get your energy boost. That'd be crazy. But you got a little, little hit of caffeine, and it's not like it's high in sugar, so it's the perfect thing for me. Boom, I go, and I've, I've noticed a definite difference in, in the uh, speed of my runs. I'll just tell you that. So glad to hear that. Bilko.com. Use the promo code LOCKED, L-O-C-K-E-D. You'll get 20% off your next order. Promo code LOCKED, 20% off Bilko.com. Let's go. You mentioned Isaiah Stewart before that you're high on that isn't in every mock draft first round. Mm-hmm. So give me a give me a guy now that's the the official segment of give me the guy that you're <laughs> higher on than than many others. I'm gonna we we never just dis, really discuss what we're gonna go over beforehand. Right. A long time ago, a long time ago, you talked about Sadiq Bay. It was like the first name that you mentioned. So are you is that still your guy? That's funny. That's yes, I, I had to. It's Sadiq Bay was was one of them. That's who yeah. I was just about to talk to. Yep. I uh I'm a big Sadiq Bay fan. I uh, Noah, in today's game, there's so much about offensive efficiency, especially because you don't know your first few years. I, I think people need to understand it's if it's not a superstar, then your opportunities are going to be limited. And so the question always becomes you know, well, as I mentioned before, what's your plus one skill? What's the one thing that you do at a really high level? Because the the rest of the team is typically made up of specialists. Are you a guy who can come off the bench? And as you talk about, like an Isaac Okoro or Matisse Thibel would fit in this category. Can you immediately defend day one and then work on your other skills and improve those? Are you a guy that's going to be a knockdown shooter? Are you a guy who can run the second team offense? Is You know, there's. are you a high energy guy? There, there's there's multiple ways that you can find a guy to have his plus one skill, but there's that. But also you need to be efficient offensively if you are going to contribute, especially if you go to a good team in your first couple of years in the league. You're not going to be – you go to the Lakers, who's getting all the shots? LeBron and AD. So what are you going to be able to do that's going to be able to help contribute? And it's like that on any roster, on any team in the league right now. You go to the Hawks. Trey Young is taking all the shots. Kevin Herter is going to be shooting some. John Collins is going to be shooting some. There aren't many shots to, to go around after that. So are you going to be able to knock down shots? Are you efficient offensively? Do you need the ball in your hands that time? Because that's not going to work. And I look at Sadiq Bey, and he is a guy who makes shots. He's extremely efficient in his offensive game. He's got really good size. He can hit jumpers, but he also is really good off the bounce. So I love Sadiq Bey's game. And then... The other one, Noah, who I didn't mention at the beginning of the year, but we've talked – well, in that capacity, but we've talked a lot. And his his stock slid as as time went on, and that's Cole Anthony. And obviously you're familiar with Cole Anthony. Greg Anthony's dad came in with crazy, crazy reputation heading into North Carolina and right from the jump of the season, like, was exploding. And people saw the talent immediately from Cole Anthony. Steve Smith, the, the famous – Oak Hill Academy coach that we've talked to on this podcast. He hyped up Cole Anthony. And you told the story, I think, that he sent – was it you that, that told the story or he told the story about another guard <laughs> having to go home? <laughs> he quit the team because Cole Anthony was embarrassing him in practice. He didn't say that specifically, but that was, that was implied. <laughs> yes. So point being, we know the kid is just bursting with talent. The knocks against Cole Anthony, of course – are is is his shot falling regularly 
Uh, is he a little? He's a little bit undersized for a point guard, and people don't like his assist to turnover ratio. I think he was trying to do a lot at the college level, and I think he's the kind of kid. And I see this quite a bit where you don't see their full potential sometimes until they actually reach the NBA. And I know that seems crazy, but you surround Cole Anthony with other guys who are really talented and he doesn't feel like he has to be the man. All of a sudden, I think you're going to see his game blossom. So I know in a lot of ways uh, teams have sort of fallen out of love, but I will also say I've talked to guys on a couple teams that actually really like Cole Anthony and don't want the general public to know that. So there's also that feeling. So I wouldn't be surprised if Cole Anthony slides into you know, at least into the top 20. Although I think a lot of mocks see him now as being a guy in the 20s mm-hmm. is where he'll fall. How about for you, Noah? Works really hard, Cole. Mm. Insane athleticism. So I do think Cole will get there and he will be one of the guys that in a few years, if not sooner, the general public will say, why did we pass up on Cole Anthony? Mm-hmm. I'm going to leave those guys, the the deeper guys to you, since that's your expertise. (laughs) Coming up next, story time. What do you got? So, no, we're talking about NBA draft and and evaluating prospects, right? So I was thinking back. I've talked about this ABCD camp the first time that I saw LeBron James, right? Mm -hmm. What I haven't ever told about the story. So I see LeBron James. I remember taking Dave McMiniman and I took my brother to ABCD camp in New Jersey and LeBron is at the camp along with Carmelo Anthony, a whole bunch of others. Anyway, as we're watching one of the showcase games, I was next to my cameraman because I, as I mentioned earlier, I would go to some of these games used to be for a high school sports show. Later I did it just on my own where I'd sell tapes to college teams and NBA teams about top prospects at the high school level. But we are shooting some video of, guys at the camp guy walks up to me hands me his card and says hey um i would love tape of this game I'm like okay like look at the card real quick it says i didn't really read it in depth put it in my pocket don't think about it i leave the camp and realize it says lou tucker bad boy entertainment guy runs p diddy's company so turns out I then start to reach out to him, talk to his secretary. I'm like, this has to be a joke. The guy that runs Bad Boy Entertainment is, is reaching out to him. So anyway, it turns out, go through, end up meeting him. And what it really comes down to was he was thinking about getting into representing players. He had a buddy of his mm-hmm. who was in that field and was thinking about getting into it. So he really, and he was big basketball fan, so he really started to show interest in it. Well, him and I got to know each other a little bit. And it was crazy. Like, I went to go see him at the bad boy offices in New York. Like, it, it's nuts. Like, P. Diddy's really? office and stuff. It was crazy. Yeah. So, anyhow, fast forward a few months later. Maybe it's a year later. I don't remember. But we had this relationship. And he calls me. And he knew we that I would shoot tapes of, of games and things. And we had talked about players and prospects and all that. And he says to me, you're going to go want to shoot right now. IS8 in Queens, this public school in Queens. He goes, LeBron is going to play on Sebastian Telfair's in Sebastian Telfair's AAU game tonight. He's like, you've got to go in this little gym. Because you may remember they did a Slam magazine cover together, Sebastian and LeBron, when they were both in high school. And Sebastian Telfair was all everything. LeBron flew in from Ohio, and they were going to do the Slam cover the following day in New York City. So when he got off the plane in New York City, 
Sebastian took him to the AAU game. It'd be nice to add LeBron to your AAU team for, for a <laughs> night, right? So, yeah. so we go, so we head over to the gym, this small school in, in Queens, like find this gym. We're there at the school and we show up first game features a bunch of division one guys like Curtis Sumter who played at, at Villanova guy, guys like of that ilk who were really good college players, right? Whole bunch are playing. There's like maybe 10 people in the gym and we start shooting video of it. We're on the baseline, all this shooting video. Well, next thing you know, game's starting to end and people just start crowding into this little gym. And it was nuts. Like all of a sudden there people are everywhere because word got around LeBron was going to show up and Sebastian was already a local hero being, you know, with the Marbury family connection and all that kind of stuff. So next thing you know, Telfair, LeBron show up and everyone's like, oh, I can't believe this. We're finally seeing. And people were crowding onto the court. And LeBron, who had just gotten off a plane and then a car service from, you know, the airport, like shows up, which is, first of all, crazy that it's high school. Plays the worst game, worst game I've ever seen LeBron play. Because just like LeBron, his whole thing was putting on a show. He didn't know the other kids he was playing with well, other than Sebastian. But he's like just trying to pass the ball. He's trying to be unselfish. He did a few things that stood out. But more than anything, he was just like trying to get others involved. And he wasn't that LeBron feels dominant self that he that he kind of has now. And so if you knew hoops, you could tell right away like the talent was off the charts. He had like four points in that game, Noah. And it was crazy. And everyone there is screaming at him and yelling. You can still find this on, on YouTube somewhere. There's clips. Not that we shot. We have that somewhere uh, in my archive. But someone else had shot some video. And guys on, like are pouring out onto the court, like screaming, like, oh, you aren't that good. You're overrated. You're overhyped. All these things. Meanwhile, Sebastian Telfair plays the best game I've ever seen him play. His confidence level was crazy. If you walked out of that gym at that time, you would think Sebastian Telfair is going to be an all-NBA performer at some point. And LeBron James is just pretty good. Unless you really saw like the vision and recognize like that rare ability. But it's a crazy moment that um yeah I will I will never forget in terms of evaluating evaluating prospects. The guys before they were stars mm. and how they carry themselves will forever be fascinating to me. <laughs> yes, I totally agree. Real quick, non-NBA draft. Told you the story about last week, what my expectations were to be being a poll worker at the election. And so I'm here in New York City, was a poll worker up the street a little bit. And mm-hmm. there were 956 ballots cast at our polling location. I don't know whether that was high or low. I don't know. I'd say 700 of those were between 6 a.m. and 9.30 a.m. And then for the next 11 and a half hours of the shift, which starts at 5, polls open at 6, close at 10, got out of there about 10.20, there were about 250 people. Mm. So that was a long time. I personally did not feel very safe, not from poll watchers. I actually didn't see any poll watchers or any sort of conflict, but because of COVID, because you're in a room, but not a whole lot of ventilation and you're close to people. Everybody's got masks on. I didn't feel very safe, but I also felt better being there than somebody who would be highly susceptible to the virus, which is why as a poll worker to begin with, someone who is 60 or older, which make up the majority of poll workers. I got, I ended up getting tested just the other day. I waited four days, got tested, came back negative. So that was my, that was my experience. 
felt good. We'll do it again. The funniest story, I think, comes from the people who would get into their privacy booths and then say, hey, can you tell me about some of these candidates? And say, uh, uh, no, we actually, we, we can't, can't do that. So the process is you come in, you have your, your district where you're uh, in your voting district. So you go, you, you sign in, et cetera. And one guy somehow must have just gotten past the line and just went to the privacy booth. And he raised his hand and I went over and he said, in the privacy booth, there's, you know, everybody knows you're just like a little table with wings on the side and it says, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I, uh, I'm like, I'm kind of embarrassed. It's my first time. Like, I don't really know what to do here. And I said, well, well, first you need a ballot. <laughs> and he was just like <laughs> standing there, <laughs> just standing there looking at the privacy booth as if like he was about to play a game, like there's something going to come up in front of him. So he went back, got a ballot, and I said, here's how, here's how you fill it out. Um, but for over the past four years of talking politics, at some point every single day, then it comes election day, and you're working in a polling station, and you're not allowed to talk politics. That was wild. Uh, so on election day, I spent 16 hours not talking politics. That's incredible. Which was kind of refreshing, but it was nice to see the the voting process and no fraud at work. I, I, well, you bring them no fraud. I, I want to make one comment. Well, I told you before that I think it's a heroic act. And I, I do mean that. And, and, you know, listen, on the low scale of heroism, but still the idea that you you did that and that meant that there's somebody who's older, susceptible, uh, who didn't have to go and do that. Or I don't even know if they would be allowed to based upon I don't know if there was ageism or something, but but you made it so that someone else didn't have to do it. And we got a chance to enjoy our democracy. Enjoy is probably the wrong word, but we had a chance to experience our democracy because of people like you. And I, so I appreciate that. I just I was curious to ask you your feelings. And I know they probably go in depth, but just on the surface of what it was like for you as somebody who worked the polls and understand the work, not just you did, but more so for the people around you and know the training that went into it. A day you took, I think, four hours of training uh, classes, which you then had to go to the Javis Center, if I if I recall correctly. So you traveled to your training spot. You trained for four hours. After going through all that, just what some of the feelings have been for you in the last few days as people have basically taken shots at at like the uh, integrity of of poll workers or or people doing their their jobs again for our democracy. I was curious as your feelings on it. For there to be systematic widespread fraud, that's like beyond Ocean's Eleven stuff. I mean, how that could happen is so far above my pay grade. On a, it, are there issues? Yes. There are certainly issues, maybe with a handful of ballots here and there. I mean, one woman walked in and her because when you register to vote, oftentimes it's you're you're filling out something by hand. So, yeah, you might have a birthday wrong or this one woman, her birthday was set that made her one hundred and eighty five years old when, in fact, she was only eighty five years old. And I told her that she looked terrific for being born in 1835. <laughs> and so then so then you go through you, then you fill out what's called an affidavit ballot and you figure then then you figure it out. Right. So I mean my name is still listed 
on the voting sheets in Pennsylvania. I haven't lived in Pennsylvania in years, but I checked to see if I'm actually registered there and I'm not. So if I showed up there, I couldn't just hand my ID over or it just wouldn't, it wouldn't work. Certain things need to be taken care of. Like if you do vote somewhere, there needs to be like electronic records where you're just deleted other places, but there is nothing widespread. There's nothing widespread. We're on Instagram at rejecting underscore the underscore screen. Adam's on Twitter at NaismithLives. I'm at Noah Kozlov, C-O-S-L-O-V. Check out everything else going on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Told you a few times about the NBA mock draft. That's on the Lockdown NBA feed. Make sure you're checking that out five days a week. Go back and listen to previous episodes. Hollinger and Duncan, Lockdown Fantasy Hoops. Also, Chad Ford's NBA Big Board. And your team every single day, every single day. No matter whether the offseason is a week long, six weeks long, or three months long, every single day you're on the Locked On Podcast Network. Adam, thanks, pal. You are the best for letting me talk this long today.